honoured and glorified in this, this time together. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rod. Are we on? Can you hear me? <laughs> right. Um, for the benefit of uh, visitors uh, here, we've been working through 1 Corinthians uh, this year. Uh, last week, Rod spoke on the first uh, few verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And uh, we're going to read the rest of the chapter today. Quite a long passage, um, so bear with me. And as I haven't got the monitor, forgive me for turning my back on you from time to time. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 40. All right. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 to 40. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's command is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Emma? Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who is free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Now, about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of, because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if, they were, as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs, her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of, his world, of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm not saying this for your own, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but so that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. 
If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honourably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. What an interesting passage. <laughs> There's lots of things in there, and Paul seems to be going a bit all over the place. He's been talking about marriage, and then he goes on at the beginning of this, where, be content in your station in life. Then he talks about virgins. Then he talks about this present crisis, and the time is short. Then he goes back to talking about marriage. Is he losing the plot, or is he just so full of what he wants to share, he's just getting carried away with himself? But it does make it quite a difficult passage to preach on. So, as Rod did last week, I'm being a bit selective. It's not going to be a definitive exposition of every verse and every nuance, but trying to extract the, the generic teaching that can apply to us in the 21st century as well as to the Corinthians in the first century. It's always good to start with the context. Is it working? Oh. Um, though I'm not sure how much it helps this time. First of all, the culture of this person. There, there's the cultural context. And he's talking about the big social barriers that were around at that time. The two principal ones. Circumcision and slavery. The division between the Jews... God's chosen people, the elect, and everyone else, the Gentiles, the riffraff. Very big social barrier within the church. And then the division between those who were slaves, mere property, chattels, and those who were free. There were social barriers to be addressed. Then there was the uh, Corinthians' obsession with status, sex, and stuff. Are all these things wrong? Should we stand back and abstain? Or how do we live in the right way? Then there were the religious differences we've also already touched upon. The church was made up of Jews who recognised Christ as the Messiah and were now Christians, but also Greeks who had this, that's what we mean by Hellenism, that's the word for Greece. They had a Greek background, a Greek philosophy, uh, and we're approaching things differently. Then there's the historical context. Paul talks about the present crisis. What an interesting phrase. What was the present crisis? Commentators disagree whether it was something very short-term and specific to Corinth, or was it leading up to the fall of Jerusalem, or was it taking a worldview... Uh, 
looking towards the return of Christ because he also says the time is short. Again, is that the time is short because of the present crisis or until Jerusalem falls or until Christ returns? And we have to remember that the early church expected the return of Christ as we should do today and as Rod's already alluded to. And then there's a very specific context. Paul's addressing the matters the Corinthians wrote about. And of course we don't have the letter the Corinthians wrote to Paul, so we can only make an educated guess from the context as what some of those may be. So it's all a bit difficult. So what I want to talk about this morning is what I see as the key issues. First of all, a key question the Corinthians wanted to know how they could live well as Christians in the face of so many conflicting pressures, expectations and, and cultural issues. And I think there are three key principles that Paul draws out in, in the passage we read that are relevant as much for us today as to the Corinthian church. First of all, I've used a verse from Timothy here, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Be content where you are. Don't spend all your life striving. Be content. Second thing, the things of this world are transient. There is going to come a time when Christ returns, or we die, or whatever, we face him. And everything we've amassed in this world is left behind. So, and this is the most important of all, live in undivided attention to the Lord. And I think there are key responses we can make to these principles in terms of freedom, responsibility and focus. So that's the structure of what we're going to be looking at this morning and I hope it will become a bit clearer. So first of all, I think Paul is saying through this, be free. Don't conform to religious expectations. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. So on the one hand, you've got those with a Jewish background who have been circumcised, and they're trying to put pressure on the Greek Christians to come into the big Jewish family by being circumcised. And there are the Greeks saying, no, 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 that's all Old Covenant. And, and there was actually a lot of pressure in some churches for Jewish Christians to be, become uncircumcised. Now, if you want to do some research, go and look that up on the internet. I'm, not quite, I'm still not quite sure how it works, but it was possible to have an operation to try and reverse the effects of circumcision. I can't think that that was very pleasant at all. But there was this pressure. And Paul's saying, forget the religious expectations. You are free in Christ. And we should remember that today. Not, we're not subject to a mountain of laws. We are free in Christ. And conversely, as a church which seeks to welcome 
everyone in Beckles, we shouldn't be creating a super spiritual religious standard that we expect them to conform to. Yes, everyone is welcome, providing they wear a tie or ladies a hat. Mm. Get rid of you lot then. <laughs> everyone is welcome, providing they tithe and fast. I must admit, I struggle with fasting. But God understands my weaknesses and his strength is made perfect in that. So we are free from religious expectations. And we shouldn't confirm, 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 conform to career expectations. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God calls them. The slaves were upset and feeling inferior because they were still slaves. And indeed Paul encourages them to secure their freedom if they can. But he's effectively saying, if you are a slave who's been saved, you're free in Christ. You're truly free, whereas those people who are free citizens are actually slaves to Christ. So forget this worldly putting of people in boxes. But we still do it today. How often, if you're introduced to somebody for the first time, is one of the first questions, well, what do you do? We define people by their role in life. And if they're a doctor or a lawyer, we think, ooh, they're important. If they're a cleaner or dustman, what is state agent? We look down on them. And we shouldn't. And God's not saying that you shouldn't pursue your career to glorify him. But what he is saying is don't become so obsessed with getting to the top that that becomes your focus. We can be free of expectations about career and job and social status. And don't conform to social expectations. Now, the verse I've picked out is, are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. As I said, one of the main obsessions with Corinthian society was sex. One of the main obsessions with 21st century Britain is sex. There's pressure on young people to have sex with anyone and everyone. Divorce rates are higher than ever, although marriage rates are going down because people live together. There's this pressure to do what the world is doing. And one of the Corinthian reactions was, well, that's all, all evil. We shouldn't have anything to do with sex. No, we'll, we'll draw aside from that. And indeed... It's been a problem throughout the church, which is why in the Middle Ages the Catholic Church said their clergy should not marry. No, have nothing to do with fleshly things. But that in itself has created historical problems. And the thing goes, saying, you're free. And uh, looking in the earlier part of 1 Corinthians 7, which is you know, part that uh, Rob didn't have time to look at, Last week, 
Paul's saying to husbands and wives, enjoy each other. Give yourselves to each other. Sex is God's wedding present to a man and a woman when they get married. It's good within marriage. So you're free of the expectations and pressures of the world to do what you like, with you like, whenever, with whoever you like, whenever you like. But you're also free to enjoy marriage. And you don't have to abstain. Be free. And I want to go on this because I think it's so important. True freedom is in Christ. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Christ went to the cross and died that horrible death that we might be free from sin and death and all of the world's pressures. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Do not be slaves to legalism, to Pharisees, to the world, to peer pressure, to social media. You are free in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's a fantastic verse. Because although we don't have the same divisions in the church in England between Jew and Gentile, and we don't have slavery in the way that it was part of the church in Corinth. We know there is a problem of, of modern slavery that's hidden away. But everyone here, I trust, is free. And if you're not, if, come and talk to the leaders, please. How often do we still look down on women and patronise them? How often do we look down on people we see as less educated or poorer? People on benefits. In Christ, we are all one because Christ lives in all. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We awake. Hallelujah! Christ lives in me. We should live in that truth. We are free in Him. So I'm getting carried away. I just love that verse. Next thing, we need to be responsible. Value possessions lightly. Paul makes a point of this. Those who buy something should live as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world, as if not engrossed in them. It's the other trap. Materialism. We like our stuff. We like our toys. We like our cars, our houses. But there are things that have been entrusted to us by Christ, and we're to use them responsibly. Not to hang on to them. Value people highly. That's the other thing. Stuff doesn't matter. People do. Um, I've taken this verse from Philippians. In humility, 
value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. That's what makes us family. That's what should make the church of Jesus Christ distinctive in society today. We're constantly being told about our rights. Human rights, civil rights, my right to do this, my right to do that. But Christ turns it on his head. It's my responsibility as a Christian to put all of you first. It's your responsibilities as Christians to put others first. To set aside our preferences, our needs, to build each other up. We need to be responsible. Because all of these things, whether it's status, or property, or career, they, if we become too obsessed with them, they become idols. And the important thing is, we are all accountable to God. Praise God, when we face him on the day of judgment, we do not have to justify our salvation. We plead the blood of Jesus. That is all sufficient. Hallelujah. But we are still called to give an account of what we've done with our time and our money and the things he's entrusted us to. So to live well as Christians, we need to be responsible. And I like those, those bracelets that were fashionable uh, probably 10 more years ago. What would Jesus do? It's a question worth asking in a situation. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus think? And if Jesus came back now, would he be happy with what I'm doing or thinking or saying now. Thirdly, be focused. The rule, keeping God's commands, is what counts. Throughout this passage, Paul is saying it again and again. You need to serve Christ. That's what's important. And that's why he encourages and approves of those who remain single because it means they can give undivided attention to the Lord. But he does allow marriage. He's not saying marriage is inferior. He's just saying you're going to have more problems. Please, I'm not saying that wives are a problem. I was going to say I'm not saying husbands are a problem, but that might be stretching it a bit. But the point is, as Paul spells out, husbands have to care for their wives as well as serving the Lord. And very often it can become a temptation to put our wife or husband first and Christ slips to second. Well, in fact, if you do that, you're not actually putting your wife first because you're not loving her as well as when you put Christ first. It's one of these wonderful paradoxes in Christianity. If I am to love my wife the best I possibly can, it's by serving Christ first and foremost. 
but not getting so involved in church stuff and thinking that's serving Christ that I neglect my wife. And we have to get the balance right. That's where responsibility comes in again. The underlying principle, as Jesus taught it, was anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And if you think about it, God so loved you and me that he gave his son. He was prepared for his son to go to the cross to redeem us. So we should put him first and everything else will flow from that. So, to live well, we need to be focused, we need to be responsible. And I forgot my own other point. We need to be free. Shocking. So that's a lot of what Paul's been talking about. And then he comes back to talking about betrothals and widows and marriage again. And he's not actually saying anything that he didn't say in the first 16 verses of the chapter. So I like to see these as a couple of case studies where Paul's showing how it works out in practice. Because theory is always easy. It's nice to know how it looks in practice. Betrothed couples, you have the freedom. If a man's engaged, he's free to choose whether to marry or not. Whether he, if he marries, he's not sinning. If he chooses not to marry, he's not sinning. There's that freedom. But there's also a responsibility. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honourably towards the virgin he's engaged to. So that's the respect to his fiancée. And if his conscience says, you should marry her, and then he doesn't, although he's got that freedom, he's not acting responsibly. And then there's the focus. Paul, and it is only his opinion, it's not a cast-iron ruling, recommends that he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. Now again, that might be down to the present crisis, whatever that is, but the three things work together here. Freedom to choose, responsibility to others, and focus on how best to serve the Lord. Second example, widows. If you're, they're widowed, they're free to marry again. Anyone. Ah, responsibility, he must belong to the Lord. Very much important that for anyone's walk with the Lord and serving the Lord, they, ma- they marry a Christian. Now, Rod looked at last week, if you're already married to a non-Christian, stay married and pray for them. But if you are entering into marriage, as a Christian, it should be with a fellow believer. And the focus, again, in Paul's judgment, she's happier if she stays as she is and can serve the Lord. So there are case studies. Right, time is drawing on. Let us summarise. Lessons for living well. Living well comes from knowing that our identity is who we are in Christ. 
It does not depend on religious or social conformity. It does not depend on our class, our work, our possessions. It does not depend on social media. It does not depend on what people think. It depends solely on the person of Jesus Christ. In him, we are free. In him, we are heirs. In him, we have the fullness of God in Christ. What has the world got to offer that can match all that? So living well comes from knowing who we are in Christ. But living well also means acting responsibly towards others, showing the love of Christ to our fellow believers, to our brothers and sisters, but also showing the love of Christ to those in the world who will think we're bigoted, narrow-minded, cranky, freaks. We love them anyway. Above all, living well means living for Christ. And that's very easy to stand up the front and say, and very hard to live out day by day. So I want to finish three verses. I could have gone on all morning with different verses to encourage you in living well for Christ. First, remember, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And when you're under pressure from other people's opinions and requirements, hold on to this. In Christ, you are free indeed. And to live for Christ is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Christ first. And how this works in practice, and this I believe is the most important verse for Christian living, and a crucial verse for this church, for this time. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Forget worrying about your career, your status, your Facebook page, your Twitter account, your possessions, your car, your house. Focus on the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. As a church, we wonder how on earth are we going to make an impact on a cynical, disbelieving, humanistic world that doesn't want to know. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and these things will be given to you. And in this context, how do we seek first the kingdom of God? Pray. I really believe God is calling his church at this day to a season of impassioned prayer, both as individuals and as churches. I look out at this lovely congregation from where we were a few years ago when we were struggling. We said, we haven't got any young couples. We, we haven't got many people. People are leaving. It's hard. What, we've, what have we done that's transformed things to this? What led us to this lovely hall, this new premises? It's all rooted in prayer. 
God has added these things as we have sought him in prayer. Prayer is the key in everything. And if you want to live well for Christ, seek first his kingdom, his face in prayer. And these things will be added unto you. Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can find so much truth in your word, even when it's written for a specific situation 2,000 years ago. Lord, we thank you that we are free in Christ. And we pray that you will help us to live well for you, despite the pressures of this world, by loving one another and serving you. Lord, help us to be anxious about nothing but to seek your face or draw close to you. And Father, I pray for everyone in this room right now that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit as we go from here, that we might know your love, your peace and your power as we seek to live well in a dying world. Amen.